Back up, please. Hello and welcome to the 37th episode of Pro. This is Ritika with my friend Abhishek. And because we are recording this uh, in Abhishek's lunchtime, so I guess we just hurry up with this and come straight away to the topic. <laughs> Let's get started with The uh, first topic of the day is that AMD and Intel, which are both into microprocessor making industry, they have ended a long-running legal dispute. Now, uh, for those who may not know, the two companies are in the business of chip making, that is the microprocessors on which our computers run. Now, their dushmani was quite like, uh, you know, the... Gabbar versus Thakur kind of dushmani, and it has been going on for years. And they have a long history of legal battle between them. And it's very interesting that the two of them were formed by the ex-employees of the same company, which was a company called uh, Fairchild Semiconductors. So basically, they shared a common mm. mother, you can say. <laughs> yeah, Cain and Abel rivalry. But uh, yeah, basically, Intel, what it did was... Uh, it committed too many crimes against AMD and we'll go through each one of them very soon and uh, AMD said, you know what, for all those crimes committed, we'll drop all the charges if you pay us $1.25 billion. So it's like, move ban rakhne ki kimat itni hai. So uh, Intel said, okay, we'll write that check to you. Don't worry, let's not talk about it again. So that's what happened and uh, they've done quite a few things wrong uh, in, the, in the legal parlance at least. It's like a competitor... See, for example, now Dell has, sells its computers and it has uh, an AMD or an Intel chip that will reside in the computer. So it can only be one of two. Intel to all these manufacturers like Dell and Acer and all these manufacturers, computers, that if you sell AMD, then all our contracts will be revoked. Hmm. So now Intel is too big a player for Dell and the likes to say no to. Right. And AMD said, you know what, this is simply fair cheating. As a monopoly, you're creating monopoly and by wrong means. So these were some of the, this was one of the major crimes that AMD was battling against and it, it's, it won in the end. Yes, it seems that Intel used to offer heavy discounts and rebates to all the computer makers and they were often conditional on that it should be uh, on the basis of exclusion of its rival AMD. And uh, it seems that long back, these uh, companies were okay with, with each other. But uh, when the co-founder of Intel, uh, Robert Noyce, when he died and his successor, Andy Grove, with, who is like the man from Intel, who is famous for taking Intel to where it is today. Now, uh, when he came into picture, he was quite ruthless in his business practices. And so things worsened and also because AMD, you know, like a cribbing child, it always kept complaining about Intel to the media. So that's how the whole fight between them started. And even though like yeah. now it's, I mean, they have signed this deal, yet uh, there are concerns that whether regulate, regulators are look, looking at this deal very closely because Intel already owns 80% of the market and AMD almost the rest 20%. So if there is some clause in which by which the two are joining hands, then it will be an anti-competitive clause and may lead to uh, problems later. Yeah, that's true. This guy, Andy Groove, I know him from the book that we were told to read during our college days. Only the paranoid survive. Oh, wow. That was the only book, by the way, that a marketing professor 
read. So he, he used to be the examples from that book. So yeah, and uh, it was a nice book, uh, but I guess uh, certain unlawful activities were also part of being paranoid. So it didn't it didn't work out in the end because. Uh, but the irony is that after Intel decided or uh, they were compelled to pay this amount of 1.25 billion, mm. which is a good big amount, right, for the quarter. So for, right. for this particular quarter, mm. they'll be down by a million and quarter, which is a big amount. But right. uh, surprisingly, the share prices of Intel rose by two percent because there was a sigh of relief, saying that all right, it's only 1.25. Yeah, that's because for Intel, uh, it this is not the only uh, legal suit that it is fighting. It has antitrust suits by uh, European Union regulators, and it has an inquiry going on with uh, the Federal Trade Commission in US. And so finally, they must have thought, you know, that enough is enough. We are a microprocessor making company and not a legal company. So let's at least put one thing that's behind it. us and move ahead. So, uh, and also, while I was just uh, reading something about Intel, I, I read this that uh, I read this interesting bit of news that uh, in uh, Jerusalem uh, there is a practice called as uh, Sabbath. So it's like one day mm. of the week, and it's it's a Saturday. So nobody should work and nobody should touch anything technical and something like that. So. Intel doesn't follow that, and they insist on operating their offices on Saturday if uh, it's required, even in Jerusalem. So these people, the ultra-Orthodox Jews group there, they have protested outside the offices of Intel, and they are saying that you know it should be closed down on Saturday, and it is against uh, Jews' mm. practice and all that. Oh, I agree with them. You make us work on Gandhi Jayanti, and we will revolt. <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> the, the moral of the story is you've got to be a corporate lawyer. There's lots of money in it. Yeah. So, um, you can flash a badge and get whatever information you need and uh, you're paid by the hour. <laughs> yeah, so we have Abhishek again rambling on. <laughs> and uh, moving on to our next, prof uh, next topic, uh, do you follow F1, Abhishek? Not as much as I follow cricket. Yeah, yes, I know. Uh, I yeah, know and while you just uh, mentioned cricket, uh, I just want to ask you this because I know you're a big, big Sachin fan. So any comments on his yeah. completing 20 years in cricket? He's immortal to the game. <laughs> I can be, I, whatever I say will be a cliche because it's all written and it's all out there. I can only tell you one thing that I actually saw one of his centuries when I was in school mm. and when he was only 21. I okay. saw him score 114 against South Africa, which was wonderful, mind-boggling, in the stadium at one kid. <laughs> so, yeah, and I think it was after amazing. that uh, you got all his pictures on your wall. I have to tell this that the first time when I visited Abhishek's room, I was like really surprised. There was not a single woman's picture on the whole wall, <laughs> and the whole wall was filled with Sachin snaps, his articles, his this, his that, and it was only Sachin all over. Yes, but all the female fans, if at all, <laughs> who are listening to this, this has got nothing to do with my orientation. I'm just a sports fan who also loves girls. Yeah, so. it, it just means that, you know, he doesn't have let a that not come in the so way. you can keep your hopes on. <laughs> Yeah, let that not come in the way, exactly. Yeah, well, but I know that many guys I know are big fans. So, uh, well, I don't know if this is a good news or a bad one, uh, but Toyota has uh, pulled out of the F1 race. And considering uh, the fact that out of, I think, 139 races is what they have participated in since uh, their de debut in 2002, 
they have not won a single wife fan but toyota realized after a while that they are not their core business is not driving cars around mm-hmm. in circles but selling them to families of four and uh, anyway these are all fuel guzzling cars and one of the reasons why they are out is at least yeah. the pr of toyota says is that we are for green technology right. and we do not want to spoil our image by getting into a sport which uh, is absolutely anti green wherein you only you have to spend millions of dollars but it's not just uh, the money that goes into it but also the fact that toyota is seen as a big proponent of green technology and its car uh, i think it's called uh, toyota prius it's a hybrid electric model and is very successful and is uh, known as the most fuel efficient car sold in us so it does not want to be seen uh, in a gas guzzling sport and also it seems that the japanese compl- uh, complex corporate like functioning style didn't gel very well with the f1 operation where one has to think on their own feet yeah that's true in fact <clears throat> uh, you spoke about the corporate japanese management style mm. you know these guys are very good at taking snap decisions mm. i remember reading on wikipedia long time back that uh, toyota lex uh, the sports vehicle Uh, was done with a turnaround time of one year. They realized that there was a company called BMW which was scaling all kinds of heights in the sporting arena. Mm. They said we need a car as good as this, and a team of twenty people assembled. Mm. And within a year's time, they turned around the vehicle. And over the next three years, they came to scaling heights as much as BMW did. So they they just decided overnight with some good statistics and figures that they will now pull out of F1 and that the decision stays. So. overnight they decide that 2 billion pounds is too much to spend yeah. and we are going to call it off and this is this is uh, by the way uh, a few weeks before they actually had signed the contract to hmm. uh, continue uh, representing toyota in f1 which again hmm. people are saying is a breach of contract and it's too late for you guys to pull out and all that but the fact remains that they will no longer be competing yeah because they had signed the concord agreement as it is called and that they will continue to uh-huh. 2012 and uh, then they suddenly pulled out and also honda which is another japanese company they had quit in december 2008 and uh, the japanese tire maker bridgestone which also supplies tires to formula 1 cars even they have announced that they will not renew their supply contract with uh, formula 1 so guess one after one uh, blow for the japanese f1 fans if there are any uh, because somehow i yeah i think there are japan with six sigma and not <laughs> port like f1 no oh, come on but you know what they are i think now none of the japanese companies are there in f1 now yeah. all of them have pulled out you said toyota honda and bridgestone so yeah. there's no japanese company at all but as ironic as it may sound india does something which is contrary to what uh, many other countries do we have vijay malia betting big on force india yeah. and you know right uh, when when uh, doctor when pandit jawaharlal nehru had said when the world sleeps india will awake to its freedom on <laughs> 15th august 1947 in speech that's what happens all the time yeah. when the world is going one way india decides all right it's time to pack our bags and go the other way yeah that's true but other companies like even bmw had quit in july 2008 and it looks like uh, now that toyota has exited they may look for a reentry it's also expected that renault may be the next one okay yeah. re entry what do you mean they they plan to come back into yes. f1 some other time or what 
Yes, yes. They now plan oh. to come back and. Oh, maybe it's just a carrot which is being shown to <laughs> Bonnie Ecclestone, the F1 head, saying that don't worry, we come back. Let the economy come back. Yeah, it seems that like in most of these uh, auto companies like Toyota, BMW, and all, they had issues with uh, the F1 association uh, forcing them to cut costs. But F1 was not ready to cut costs. But now, if one after another, the companies keep going, at, and it's just Fiat, Mercedes, and Renault left in the race now. So it it will now put right. a lot of pressure on F1 to cut costs. What an expensive sport this is, right? Mm. I mean, you have to pay just part of this. Uh, if, if it's a hobby, then you better be a son of a millionaire. Yeah. Uh, and if you want to get into that car, as compared to football, let's say, which only needs all you need is a football and keep two bricks on uh, on a, in a garden, which uh, represent the goalposts, and get started without anything else. And it also is as famous. football is also as famous or maybe bigger than f1 yeah, but all it all it needs is a small i think that's the reason why soccer is one of the most uh, played sports all over the world right i guess it beats cricket hands down when it yeah. comes to number of people playing it I yeah guess. yeah in fact in latin american countries it's like uh, like a religion uh, my husband he's a big football fan and he was just telling me the other day that and i i just i told him yeah just like when you know when we played the india pakistan cricket match so he's like no it's even worse than mm. that once there was uh, uruguay and paraguay the two latin american uh, countries they were playing a football match and the army started war with each other the two armies they actually started a war with each other owing to football match oh boy <laughs> so it's really a religion yeah. there the priorities are completely set right in this case you know there there are analysts who are saying that now they are trying to find out you know these analysts their job now is to find out what are the reasons mm. why toyota would have pulled out and all that they're saying that honda when it pulled out not very long ago it missed 255 million dollars worth of brand exposure mm. through its absence from formula 1 now i wonder how these guys put a number to to such such activities like uh, those logos which are there on the car or the fence which carry the logos and then they would have carried out intense analysis on their mm. uh, softwares and all that to come up with something which says, you know what Honda missed out on so much go back to your marketing classes and open how do you calculate brand equity yeah i really don't think honda would be thinking so much because just we, we don't want to spend enough money because when a company like nissan which is making a profit now of some 120 billion yen mm. and if we are making losses then i think uh, uh, we should not be splurging money in hobbies like formula 1 because now it's it's more like a hobby than brand building exercise yeah in these situations yes so the yeah. first falls there absolutely and talking about hobbies it seems the rbi the reserve bank of india has a new hobby nowadays and it's called gold shopping so rbi is uh, going big on gold shopping and it has bought some 200 tons of gold from imf which will make rbi the 10th largest holder of gold by a central bank yeah no wonder most of the clicks on these stories are coming from women from india for some reason they think uh, it's good for the country <laughs> uh, lots of gold is coming back coming coming home you know india is the largest consumer of gold yeah, i didn't is. know that yes, india is. is by far the largest consumer 
and it's mostly on jewelry yeah. i mean when i had been to trivandrum i was really amazed by the number of jewelry shops they have and everywhere on the street like we have these bill, big uh, billboards etc most of them were of jewelry shops yeah. and i think the biggest uh, jewelry store in india is in chennai and most of the big ones yeah. are there because and if you have been to any south indian wedding you should just see the bride from top to toe she is dressed with number of gold ornaments and poor female i think she just she fall down with all the weight of gold and it seems whatever gold they have in the house they just wear everything and come for their wedding in kerala or in down south uh, if i'm not wrong uh, it's more about the status symbol uh, during weddings even the guests are as uh, well dressed or heavily with the yeah. tolas of gold around their necks and here uh, so yeah i mean half of india's uh, consumption must be happening somewhere down south because it doesn't happen so much in maharashtrian weddings or punjabi weddings i think yeah the gold is more in the south indian wedding my, the, my no friend one... who's a keralite she was telling me that even their dowry which they give and take etc it's all done in gold <laughs> so it's like how many kgs of gold can you give <laughs> oh my god dowry we should not be talking about illegal activities is it illegal by the way they they yeah, don't call it dowry nowadays they just <laughs> they just call it they call it this are gifts you <laughs> yeah there's there's a like, okay we'll be digress there are so many stories but let's stick to imf buying oh, gold yes, yes, right. i had another one too but forget it yeah. yeah so yeah so imf uh, now they had a plan to sell a share of its gold holdings uh like around 400 tons to raise money for lending to poor countries and india has bought half of the share and there is wide speculation that china may come ahead and buy the second half so i think this is a battle of egos so when uh, india says that no we are not a poor country anymore let me help you imf let me buy let, let me help you raise some money by buying half of the reserves that you want to give out but But yes, in India, India happens also to be the largest importer of gold. It, it mm-hmm. imports up to 800 tons of gold every year, which is nearly 20% of the global demand. Mm-hmm. It's very surprising. I, every statistic that I read about India buying gold is very surprising because it, it's not a country which boasts of a very high standard of living or stuff like that, which would go along with buying something as precious as gold. because gold is seen as a very safe uh, investment ra- rather than investing in stock or uh, you know keeping money in uh, savings account or fixed deposits people prefer to buy gold and keep it as an investment i think that's the that's the reason why gold is so bought in india and true uh, very very true in fact one of my colleagues was telling me he's he's 45 I'm sorry, he's 55, and he was telling me during one of his hard times, during his mm-hmm. early days, he had to raise money for his uh, daughter's wedding. Mm-hmm. And guess what? At 10:30 uh, uh, in the night, when all the banks are shut, and during days when there was no ATM or uh, stuff like that, he actually had sold gold to a to a goldsmith, and he had received cash on the counter. So that is the amount of that is the the kind yeah. of uh, investment that you talk about. Or you can liquidate gold. Exactly. In a matter of seconds, if you know whom to go to, hmm. and, so that's and that's very true. Especially if I mean, at least I prefer that you know to buy the gold bars or biscuits or whatever coins rather than buying ornaments because they are much more uh, liquid. Uh, they are much more liquid than buying ornaments. 
you are using it as a investment. I mean, I, <laughs> I mean, at least for my wedding, I strictly told my mom, please, I don't want any gold ornaments. I'm never going to wear it. So if you want to give me, you give me gold biscuits. Come on, the Australians would be hoping that okay, here's an Indian love. Show us the Indian in two colors. Wear some gold around your neck. Yeah. Yeah, but the, it seems the reason um, why India has bought gold from IMF is entirely different. And one of the reasons is that uh, India may hope for a larger voting share in IMF by having larger reserves of gold. Also, it uh, the main reason it seems is that it will diversify India's risk because currently India's foreign reserve mostly has dollars. And uh, the share of gold in the entire foreign reserve has fallen in the past decade compared to dollars. So the gold share was just 3.5% of the total reserves in September. And hence now because, you know, the whole thing is going on about the dollar depreciating, etc. So to be on a safer side, it wants to increase its holding in some other investment other than dollars, which is safe. Absolutely. Like you said, what they had done is now suddenly India did not have uh, extra money to buy gold from. So hence they had to uh, sell off some of its investment somewhere else and in, from that money buy gold. So what they did is, like you said, uh, they, they sold off U.S. treasuries. Now US, U.S. treasuries basically the bonds are the paper you keep yourself invested for 10 or 12 years uh, period and you get a fixed rate of return. But since they are held in dollars, they sold off those pieces of paper and with that money, they, they bought gold. That's right. It'll be, it'll be great to work with RBI, right, when they decide these things again. I keep saying this every second episode, but these guys have uh, made decisions which affect the whole of the nation, which is so much cooler than, so much cooler than being part of a top management of a company which takes care only of one company. And the, the guys who are there, you know, the advisors are very young the IAS and the IRS officers, hmm. they are in the 30s. So they might not be the ones who are taking decisions, but hmm. they advise what should be done to the guys who do it. Yeah, our uh, Honorable Prime Minister Manmohan Singh, he was also the governor of RBI once upon a time, before he became the finance minister. Yeah, he has the most enviable resume ever that I have seen, of <laughs> Dr. Manmohan Singh. Yes. He's done almost everything that one can do. <laughs> yeah, that's true. You know, uh, Warren Buffett, or Buffet, or however you pronounce his last name, he thinks uh, there is a very interesting quote that uh, he had made about gold. He, he told gold in high regard when it comes to investments. And here's what he says. He says, uh, it gets dug out uh, in some ground in Africa or somewhere else. Hmm. Then we melt it down, dig another hole, bury it again, and pay people to stand around guarding it. It has no utility. Anyone watching from Mars would be scratching their head. That's so right, he because, thinks gold is not the best. Yeah, because yeah, he because he sees from a point of view of using money for creating an employment for you know doing investment, mm -hmm. which which is what happens if you invest money in bonds or you invest money in equity. Whereas if you invest money in gold or in fixed deposits, you just get a fixed return every uh, month or a year. But then that money really doesn't right. go anywhere. It's just kept locked. Another uh, big news that is making rounds in India these days is the increased prices of pulses. It seems that uh, it's not 
good news for the common man because the pulses or the dals that that is the food of uh, poor man has risen almost triple what it was in 2008 and i was just reading the prices so you know a tuar dal or the dal from which we make sambar uh, which used to cost rupees 25 last Not year sambar 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 say <laughs> like a true south indian you're not a south indian but sambar <laughs> <laughs> yeah the sambar <laughs> that we make <laughs> was uh, yeah. 25 last year and is 9500 this year and most of the dals have crossed Ooh. 100 and most of them like the urad dal used to cost 33 and it is 65 70 now and uh, they have most of them have crossed 100 kg in rupees 100 per kg in delhi and mumbai so it seems inflation is raising its okay. ugly head again you know these headlines the guys the media would be saying okay just copy paste what was there this time last year nothing else has changed this let's let's have the same story and let's just uh, change the rates of inflation that are there right now but it's very uh, it's very sad because this does not help the farmers in any way and if things get ugly at the food level hmm. then it uh, it it's not good at all yeah and the the reasons what i mean there is a always a i mean there's always a blame game going on between the government and the wholesalers and the traders etc and many say that it is because of the delayed monsoons and the poor monsoons and also um, two main dal producing states are rajasthan and karnataka and they have not had very good monsoons so that is an impact uh, another thing uh, it seems is that um, states like uh, gujarat and madhya pradesh they now have uh, they they think that uh, crops like soy wheat cotton these are more profitable and so farmers are moving from growing pulses to these as they have very low incentives by government to grow pulses also right. the shopkeepers and the uh, farmers they blame the wholesalers because they say that you know they are the wholesalers are hoarding the grains and that is why that uh, leading to price rise and the wholesalers say that it is all because of online trading and speculation that the prices are rising so nobody really knows as to why and what is it happening and i don't know if our agricultural minister sharad pawar is bothered about it i'm sure he absolutely i was coming matches. Yeah, that's exactly my point. The, I was going to come to that. That at least one person should know what's going around uh, out there, whether it's speculation or why. Why exactly are the farmers uh, suffering, or why the prices are going up and down? And that Sharad Pawar, who's currently flitting between uh, being the BCCI head, that is in cricket, and being the agricultural minister. That's right. And let's hope the agricultural minister gets his act right this time. and that's about it from our end and from this episode of busy nation dhando takko rokro that's about it from me and abhishek bye bye